in our lives when we need to trust people. We need to be able to trust people. It may be in the little things, in that DVD a friend borrowed. Or it might be trusting your kids with the latest uh, toy or phone. But then there's the big things we need to trust people with. Trusting your husband will be faithful in your marriage. Trusting that your wife will put her kids before her escalating career. We need to know that we can trust people. We need to know whether they are trustworthy. And the big question a lot of us have is, who can I trust with my future? Who can I trust with my future? And I'm not talking about the next four years and who we'd vote in the next general election. I'm not talking about the next 25 years and who we would uh, get a mortgage with or maybe who we'd get life insurance with. I'm talking about our eternal future. Who can we really trust for eternity? Surely the one person we can trust is God. But to trust him, we need him to be faithful to his words and his promises. We need a God who is faithful even at this final hurdle, the resurrection of one man, the son of a carpenter, 2,000 years ago. You see, can we trust God? Can we trust God and look forward to eternity with him? Well, it all comes down to this. Let's dive into our passage and find out. Our first heading is the king is dead. The king is dead. In Mark 15, we see Jesus hung on a cross for our sin. We see him blast down the wall of sin that separates us from God the Father. He symbolically tears the curtain in two, showing that he's made a way for all people to come to know God. People of every race, of every tongue, they can come in and they can know forgiveness from God. And this wasn't random, it wasn't an accident, it was in fulfillment of what Jesus had promised. Turn back with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and verse 33. And we're going to see what Jesus promised would happen. Let me just read those verses. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Jesus has done everything he promised so far, apart from that last bit. Three days later, he will rise. Just let that statement sink in. Jesus will rise again. Jesus is declaring that he's going to do what no one has ever done. He's going to come back from the dead. Not only will he rise, but when he rises, he's going to bring a kingdom that anyone can enter. And so we enter this final section of Mark, Mark 15 and 16. We enter it with anxious looks, our breaths held, sweaty palms. Can we trust God? Is he a God who is faithful to his words, or is he going to let us down like so many people do? Because if we were there, if we were watching Jesus die, would we still have hope? Well, let's look at someone who does still have hope. Turn back to Mark 15 with me and look down at verse 42. 
Let's look at someone who does still expect this kingdom of Jesus to come. Verse 42. It was preparation day. That is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was a prominent member of the Jewish legal council, someone well-respected in the community. And he shows us the right response to Jesus' words, a response of faith, of trust. He shows how everyone should have responded, especially the Jews. And as a prominent member of the council, Joseph had a lot at stake when he went to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body. You see, Mark, in his book, makes it abundantly clear that to follow Jesus means to take up your cross and go after him. It's going to mean hardship and trials were following a crucified king. And that's exactly what Joseph is doing here. When he goes to Pilate, he's not only risking his life, but probably the life of his family and his friends. He's stepping out in faith as someone who believes in Jesus and believes in his coming kingdom. Look down at the verse. It says he's waiting for Jesus' kingdom. Right at that moment, when he goes to ask for the corpse of Jesus, he's waiting for the kingdom. You see, the book of Mark, it's hurtling to this final point. It's gathering momentum, the coming of Jesus' kingdom. You would think that all expectation is lost. We've just seen Jesus die. Joseph's expectation seems so stupid. It seems so ignorant. Jesus is dead. What are you waiting for? Look at verse 44. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. Pilate is surprised that Jesus is dead. He's only been on the cross a matter of hours some people are known to have survived days on a crucifix. So Pilate, he's fearing being lied to, that this is some kind of trick or illusion, that Jesus wasn't really dead. So he gets a centurion to check. The centurion was a high-ranking military officer. He was a kind of Lionel Messi, Roger Federer, but of killing people. This guy was a professional. He didn't make mistakes. To Pilate, the centurion was a trusted source. He knew that his word could be trusted. And the centurion affirms that Joseph is telling the truth. Jesus was really dead. So Pilate lets Joseph take the body. You see, all the time, Mark is trying to build the evidence that Jesus really died. But he's also increasing this tension. Is Jesus trustworthy? Is God's word trustworthy? Look down at verse 46 with me. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Joseph gives Jesus a proper burial. He wraps the body in tight linen and places him in a tomb. And right in front of the onlooking women, uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph. Now, we might be thinking at this point, still, why is Joseph waiting for this kingdom? Why is he actively waiting when he's just buried the king? See, can we really trust Jesus? 
He's dead and he's buried. He's old news. Well, let's read on and find out. Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. The Sabbath um, is over. It's been three um, days. And Mark tells us back in chapter 15, verse 42, that it was preparation day when he was crucified and buried. A Sabbath has happened, and it's the day after. So we have these three women, no doubt raw with emotion, heading to Jesus' tomb to go and anoint his body with spices. And I think the first thing we need to notice is, who are these women? Why are we told who they are? Look down at 15, verse 39. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and Salome. Notice that these women on the way to the tomb were the very same women who'd seen Jesus die only three days earlier. They'd been standing there at a, at a distance, watching Jesus. They, like that Roman centurion, saw him die, saw him breathe his last, and cease to be living. Not only this, look down at, with me at verse 47 again. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Not only had they seen Jesus die, they saw him be taken from the cross and laid in the tomb. You see, the evidence is all there. These women have no doubts in their mind. Jesus is dead and he's buried. And Mark wants us to know as the readers that we can trust that, that Jesus is dead. It's not a trick or an illusion. These women didn't go to the wrong tomb. They knew he was dead and they knew where he was buried. It's just a fact. Jesus was dead. And it's only reinforced by what the women were going to do. They were going to anoint Jesus' body, his dead body, with spices. Look at the end of verse 1. They bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. This might be a grim thing to think about, but the truth is that these women would go to put spices on Jesus' dead body. So as the corpse decomposed, it wouldn't smell as bad. It's grim, but it's true. These women were expecting to go to the tomb and find the body of Jesus. They'd seen him die. They'd seen him be buried. So they do the next logical thing, to go and anoint his body. And we ask this question, why is Mark at pains to tell us that Jesus is dead? Well, it's for the exact reason we thought about in the beginning. Mark wants us to know that we can trust Jesus in his death. Back in Mark chapter 10 that we read a little earlier, we saw how Jesus had foretold of his death and his resurrection. He's saying, guys, look at all the evidence of Jesus' death. I can't prove it any more sufficiently that Jesus really did die. And this seems weird. For someone who's trying to prove who Jesus is, that he's the Christ, the Son of God, the, the promised one, why is he so clear that he's dead? Again, it's because he wants us to be able to trust Jesus in his death. Turn back with me to chapter 10 again. And we'll get, this time we're going to read verse 45. 
Mark 10, verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' death, the giving up of his life, is worth trusting in because it is a ransom for many. A ransom that pays for, that obtains the release of captives. That's what a ransom is. Jesus' death means the ransom is paid for our sin. You see, when we don't live lives how we're meant to, when we live with us at the center, when we think that the world revolves around us, the Bible tells us that is sin. And the Bible tells us that we're enslaved to sin. We can't help but sin. We can't help but make it about us. And this is why Jesus' death is such good news. Because it means we can be free from sin. It means we can be forgiven by God, accepted by God. Turn back with me to Mark 16 and look down at verse 2. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. Mark helpfully gives us another time reference. It's the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath. And I think Mark wants us to read these words and think about back to Jesus' words, the ones we looked at a little earlier. He wants our memories to be pricked. It's three days since Jesus died. That can only mean one thing, that Jesus is meant to be raised today. Three times he's told his followers that he will die, and then three days later he will rise again. We see that in Mark 8, verse 31, Mark 9, verse 31, Mark 10, verse 34. He cannot be clearer. After three days, he will rise again. So when we read verse 2, we should be excited to read on. We should be thrilled to think of what is going to happen. But look down. I don't think that is the reaction of the women. Look at verse 3. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Mark has already told us back in verse 46 that there's a stone in front of the tomb. A stone that would have weighed well over a ton is rolled in front of the tomb. It's a clear message. No one's getting in. No one's getting out. And the fact that these women know there's a stone just reinforces that they knew which tomb Jesus was buried in. But it also leaves us with a question. If these women are meant to be trusting Jesus, if they were his followers, then why are they asking this question? Surely they remember Jesus' words that after three days he would rise again. Well, let's see if Jesus really is trustworthy. Our second heading is long live the king. Long live the king. We just said the king is dead. He was sentenced to death by Pilate in Mark 15, 15. He's nailed to a cross by Romans in Mark 15, 24. All hope is lost, all trust is gone. The king is dead. How can we expect this kingdom to come, this promised eternal kingdom to come through someone who is dead? This is how, verse four, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. I think however good our imagination, we can't quite imagine this scene. When that hope beyond all hope, mixed with adrenaline, mixed with a bit of fear, comes into your heart. Can it be? Surely not. Surely he hasn't actually risen. Verse 5. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, 
sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. How do you react? How would you react? This one-ton tombstone has been rolled away, and you run in not to see a dead body, but to see a very much alive person. We see the women's response as alarmed, and we think, yeah, that's about what I expect. But it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. If they were trusting Jesus, then they would know he isn't to be found here. They should be excited and thrilled, not alarmed. See, alarmed for me reminds me of the time I was in a supermarket, and I turned around, and my mum wasn't there, and I spent the next few minutes thinking about life as an orphan. That is alarmed. You see, if they listened to Jesus when they'd been with him, if they'd heard what he said, then they knew he wasn't to be found here in a tomb among the dead. Three times he said, I will rise again. He is not to be found here. Well, thankfully, the young man speaks and he explains what's going on. Look down at the text again with me. Verse six, he says, don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Here it is, the confirmation we were looking for. With words that will span across the ages, Jesus, the one who died, is risen. Jesus can be trusted. The man invites the women into the tomb. He says, guys, come in. Have a look. See the place where they laid him, but you won't find him here. He isn't here. He is risen. The promise that Jesus gave that he would rise again has come true. And the fact that he's risen, it proves he is who he says he is. He can be trusted. It vindicates his trustworthiness. The resurrection of Jesus can be trusted. Mark has already shown us in his book that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one, the promised one. Look back at Mark 8.29 for that. And then just in the last chapter, in 15 verse 39, we see the centurion, the, the non-Israelite, the outsider. He knows who Jesus is. He says that Jesus must have been the Son of God. And Jesus, in the book, has already talked about himself as being the Son of Man. And this has a lot of meaning due to verse 6. He has risen. You see, Jesus' resurrection has a lot of implications and applications. But I just want to think about one. Turn back with me to Mark 9. Sorry, I've done a lot of flicking in Mark. But turn back to Mark 9 and just look down at verse 1. And he said to them, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. You see, Jesus here makes another huge promise to his disciples. He has promised that they would see the kingdom, so often talked about in Mark, they're going to see that kingdom come in power. The kingdom that Jesus back in Mark 1 promised was close it's that kingdom they're going to see come in power. The kingdom so eagerly awaited by, by people like Joseph of Arimathea. But the disciples at this point, after seeing Jesus die and be buried, are not thinking this is going to happen. 
If people have managed to kill the king, then how can we expect his kingdom to come? How can we trust the dead king? Well, Mark 16 answers all those questions. The kingdom will come at Jesus' resurrection. Jesus, in fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises, has risen in glory and power. And he's been handed authority, waiting for the day he will come in judgment. You see, this is it. This is the moment we've been waiting for. Jesus, having received life from the dead, is bringing his kingdom in power. But why should we trust in his resurrection? Why should we here in Edinburgh trust in Jesus' resurrection? Turn back to Mark 16. And let's read verse 7 again. Mark 16, verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. The man or, or the angel tells them to go, tell Peter, tell the disciples, tell them that Jesus, the dead king, is now very much alive. And he's doing exactly what he said he would, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. Back in Mark 14, Jesus said, But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Jesus has told them what to expect. That after three days, he would rise again and go into Galilee, and there they will meet him again. The women are told to go. Go and tell the good news of Jesus' resurrection. Tell it to the disciples, and especially Peter. Why especially Peter? Well, if you flick through Mark 14, you'd see that Peter is the one who rejected Jesus. He didn't just reject him once or twice, but three times he denied who Jesus was. Three times he denied that he knew Jesus at all. He distances himself from Jesus, and ultimately, he denies Jesus. You see, this man wants Peter to hear the good news because he wants Peter to know that even he can have a place in this kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom. The kingdom Jesus is bringing is for those who've rejected him. It's for those who nailed him to the cross. It's for those who deny him. Remember, Jesus went through his trial. He went through his ordeal for people like Peter and for people like us who fail theirs. We should trust in this resurrection because it means now there is a way for us to be in Jesus' kingdom. Our ransom is paid on the cross, and now the king is risen, the king is here, the way to his kingdom is open. Just imagine with me for a second what Peter would have been like. He loved Jesus. The gospels make it clear that he was um, a follower of Jesus. But the sin in his heart... His fear of man caused him to reject Jesus. He rejects Jesus, and then he sees him die on a cross. He sees him put on show for everyone to mock and laugh at as the failure. Imagine the news of Jesus' resurrection reaching him. That is relief. That is joy. That is the kind of news you want to hear. Some people say that the only news is bad news. That is so wrong. The best bit of news that anyone could hear ever is right here in verse six. He has risen. Peter, you don't need to mourn anymore. 
he's risen. Disciples don't give up hope, Jesus is risen. The women don't be alarmed, he is risen. People here in 21st century Edinburgh, he has risen. He has risen, Jesus is trustworthy. He does exactly what he says he's gonna do, he's exactly who he says he is, trust him. He died for our sins. He paid the ultimate price of his life and now he's risen again in power to bring a kingdom that will never end. You see, if we think Jesus did rise from the dead, then it demands a reaction. So point three, the king demands an answer. The king demands an answer. Today, I hope we've seen one big thing that Jesus is the trustworthy, resurrected king, that he is worth putting our trust in. So when we finish verse seven and we go on to verse eight, we expect to read something like, then the women who were so full of joy and gladness of hearing of Jesus' resurrection and believing it to be true went out and they told everyone about Jesus, that he'd risen and they needed to trust him. That would be a great ending to Mark. Sadly, this is not the case. Look at verse eight with me. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The reaction of the women is trembling and fear. It's bewilderment, it's confusion, it's panic. It's not what we would have expected, and it's not what we hoped for. And throughout his, the book of Mark, he contrasts fear with faith. In Mark 5 and verse 36, Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. You see, Jesus himself contrasts fear with faith directly. Fear is the wrong response. Jesus condemns a reaction of fear. He wants a reaction of trust, of faith. See, if the women had faith in Jesus, then that faith would expel all fear. And it would be replaced with a knowledge that Jesus is who he says he is, that he can be trusted. You see, today we have the same choice as these women. We've seen the evidence. We've seen that Jesus in his death is trustworthy. We've seen that in his resurrection he is trustworthy. And we've seen that this means the kingdom is here and is open. The kingdom promise can now come because the king himself is risen from the dead and he sits waiting for the day he will return in judgment. So what will our reaction be? What is your reaction gonna to be to the news that Jesus has risen? We're left with a choice. You see, like the women, we could leave here and do nothing. It might sit uncomfortably with us for a few days, but once we're back at work, once the kids are back at school, once university life goes on again, we'll forget about this. Or maybe you're here and you've heard this message before. Maybe one time you might have even claimed to believe this message of Jesus' death and resurrection. But now, it's old news. It's grown stale. The world offers something better. Well, if that is you, then let me ask you, what does the world say at the graveside? 
What hope do you have? What will exam scores, holiday memories, and a nice car say when you are stood before God's throne in judgment? Please don't go away from here and reject this message of Jesus and his resurrection. Jesus is the one person you can actually trust with your eternity. Who can you trust over the final hurdle of your life? You can trust Jesus. You see, the worst thing that can happen is that you die. But Jesus has proven that he's defeated death. So you can trust him, not just now, but forever. You can trust him with eternity, with your eternity. You see, we need to trust Jesus. We need to trust that he died on the cross, paying the ransom for my sins. Trust that he's defeated death and has brought about an everlasting kingdom. We need to do what Jesus said right at the start of Mark. We need to repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. We need to turn away from fear and trembling and confusion and panic and turn to trust the risen Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you are trusting Jesus. But look down with me at verse eight. Look what else the women didn't do. Verse eight says, they said nothing to anyone. If we are trusting Jesus, if we're trusting that his kingdom is here, then we need to tell people. See, how can anyone come into the kingdom unless they first hear that the door is open, that the king is risen from the dead, he's demanding an answer, and he demands that you trust him. Let's speak the great news of Jesus to everyone we can. Let's say everything of the gospel to anyone who will listen. See, we need to trust Jesus' death and resurrection. But we need to speak about Jesus' death and resurrection. Let's pray together.